Uh, as Phil said, we're going on holidays uh, tomorrow uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, it's camping uh, for us uh, in Agnes Waters, an hour and a half north or, or whatever it is. Uh, and we've been waiting for this holiday for a little while now and looking forward to it. Uh, it occurs to me uh, that waiting is rarely, if ever, passive. Uh, as we look to, to this holiday, as we wait, there's the booking of the campsite that's necessary. There's the borrowing of someone's trailer and filling it with uh, our camp gear, finding someone to look after our dog and feed our chooks. Uh, I've even noticed that in anticipation of doing some paddleboarding while on this holiday, I've been trying to get myself a little more fit. Uh, you know, a push-up here or there and uh, a stretch or two. Uh, I was away this week, just gone at a, at a training thing, um, and there was a bloke there who's waiting to join the volunteer fire brigade. I don't know if any, is anyone in this, the, the fireys? Uh, it's set to be a bad uh, fire uh, season, and there's nothing passive about the way this bloke is waiting. Pete's his name. He said, I don't want to get burnt. And so as he waits to, to go through the, the formal uh, fire training, he's also on YouTube researching, training himself up. He wants to know everything there is to know about firefighting. But waiting is rarely, if ever, passive. You're starting a new job. You're getting ready the night before, aren't you? Make sure you go to bed. There's a couple of alarms set in the morning. You're ready to go. There's an exam. You study. Waiting is rarely passive. For followers of Jesus, the fire of all fires is scripted into the future, uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the day that everything will be laid bare before God. We looked at this a little bit last week, if you were here. It's not a bad fire season, but it's the time where Jesus will return and judge the living and the dead. And if you were here last week, we therefore asked that question, do you have the second coming of Jesus uh, in your mind? Is that on your horizon? This afternoon, though, as we finish up into Peter, the, the question is, as God's people, if you are someone who trusts and follows Jesus, as God's people, how are we to wait as we look to, to, to the final day? What does waiting well for heaven actually look like? And I just wonder if you might do a little self-assessment uh, right now. Uh, if you're someone who has that relational knowledge of Jesus, Jesus is my Lord and Saviour. What is your waiting for Jesus' return? What, what has it looked like over the past year, uh, over the past month, uh, over the past week? Have you been a bit passive, drifting along through life? In our culture, it's easy to amuse ourselves to death, as it's been famously put, as we mindlessly scroll through the, the social media and yet another evening is wasted. Or as we distract ourselves with so many different forms of, of entertainment or as we plunge ourselves into work or, or as we're distracted by the, the many and varied pleasures or, or even the troubles of this life. Uh, 
uh, as we, what's your waiting look like? Uh, As we take a look at this passage, I'd love you to reflect on this question. Is there a healthy relationship between the sure reality of Jesus' return and the person that you are and the person that you are becoming? Do they resonate with one another, the two? (laughs) Uh, Do they match up your life and Jesus' return? Waiting is rarely, if ever, passive. And there's four things I'd love for us to observe from 2 Peter 3, 11 to 18 this afternoon. And the first is from verse 11 to 14. But if your Bible's there, please just look with me at verse 11 and 12 to begin with. That we read, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. As the believer looks to the second coming of Jesus waiting, Peter says we're to live holy and godly lives. And you notice he's not suggesting it. Uh, you know, if, if you think, oh, maybe you want to do this. No, he, uh, he says it's a necessity. While the false teachers in the original context, their denial of Jesus' return led them to live lives of licence, immoral lives, uh, lives of lawlessness we see later in verse 17. The believer's recognition of of the second coming is to move us to a holy and godly life. That word holy means set apart, holy to God, set apart for him. And a godly life, a life where we're aware of God, attentive to him and beginning to resemble him. And as we hear this really challenging thing, uh, It's worth keeping in mind that back in chapter 1, Peter has told us that God has equipped us to live this life. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 3, our memory verse from uh, youth group on Friday nights, his divine power, God's divine power. He has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So God's not asking us to do anything that is not also helping us, enabling us to accomplish. You know how the Christian life is a little bit like the engaged couple? The Bible you know, uses that imagery of marriage. The engaged couple, they're looking forward to their wedding day, aren't they? The wedding day has been set and the couple have that day in their sights. Of course, you know, there's lots of other things that go on in in life, but everything is viewed through the lens of the wedding which is to come. Uh, Yes, the engagement period is wonderful, but the couple doesn't want to stay engaged. Uh, If they do, there's a problem. They want to be married. Consummation and and all that goes with, with life together. 
So they're not mucking around in other relationships. That would be madness. They're not keeping their options open. No, for the engaged couple, it's bring on the wedding day. Remember when Jen and I were engaged, um, I, you know, I asked. It's the early hours of the morning. I thought, we'll do it on the beach at sunrise. It'll be romantic. Um, and it was an overcast day. Uh, she said yes, and it was December. And we, we thought, well, we want to get married, so let's do it in January. Uh, we thought that would be a good idea. Bring on the wedding day. Uh, and, you know, the logistics of that were a bit tricky and our, our parents thought maybe that might be a bit soon. Uh, but, but they were happy with us getting married in March. Uh, I wonder, is this something of what Peter means in verse 12, where he says, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, bring it on. Bring it on. Uh, that verse 12 is a tricky one to interpret. Is Peter talking about the, the change that takes place in us as we grow in a patient urgency, focused on the day, longing for its coming? Or, or perhaps he has Jesus' words in view uh, from Matthew 24, verse 14, where Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That verse suggests that in some sense, while maintaining God's sovereignty, as God's people get stuck in to spreading the news of Jesus to all nations, then the end will come. However we read it, there is no passive waiting, just urgent activity. And notice, as Christians should live holy and godly lives, not only because this world as we know it, it's not going to last, but also because a new world is going to take its place. You see verse 13? Peter says, but in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. It's hard to know how much uh, continuity and how much discontinuity there will be in the, in the new creation. The Bible gives us a, a picture of the destruction of that which is and renewal uh, as well as new creation. Either way, this new creation will be where righteousness dwells. Back in chapter 1, verse 4, Peter spoke of God's promises that God's, God's people might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Well, this new creation will be the fulfilment of, of that, the home of righteousness. No more corruption, no more evil. How wonderful will that be? No longer having to struggle with our own sin. No, no longer having to struggle with the sin of those around us. No, no longer having to live in this world that groans, awaiting renewal. We're going to the home of righteousness. Well, Peter con concludes this first point in verse 14 by saying, So then, dear friends, 
And, and you know, dear friends could be translated uh, beloved. So then, beloved. So then, brothers and sisters, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Back in chapter 2, the false teachers were described by Peter as blots and blemishes. Here, God's people are to be the very opposite, spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. It's not, it's not passive waiting, hey? Floating, distracted, no. But it's make every effort, says Peter, strive and strive and, and strive. That's how the saved walk That's how the fruitful live. That's the first point. As God's people waiting for Jesus' return, we're to live holy and godly lives. So does your life resonate with the sure return of Jesus? It's challenging, isn't it? The second point, verse 15, uh, we read, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Peter says, well, Paul and I, we're on the same page. When we wonder why God allows the the bullies and the, the bad guys of this world to continue, or why he allows sickness and and disaster to be the cause of such, such suffering for so many, the answer must be patience. God hasn't acted to judge and renew yet, not until his purposes for this world in Jesus are completed. So even as we cry that, you know, the last word uh, in the Bible, uh, come Lord Jesus, bring it on, We must also praise God for his patience. His patience that this person and and this person and this person and this person and you and I have had opportunity to know salvation. Remember someone saying there's so many great causes that, that, that we can give our lives to. So many wonderful initiatives to get behind as individuals and as communities. But only the Christian can do evangelism. I wonder how many friends and family members who don't yet know Jesus are we praying for at the moment. Can I say, if you don't yet have that relational knowledge of Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, Know that we're praying for you. We'd love for you to know the joy of life in Christ. Jesus sent his church to go and make disciples. Salvation, that's point two. As we wait for Jesus' return, it's the time for salvation. His patience means salvation. The third point is verse 16 and 17. Be on your guard. Uh, Just look at verse 16 with me. And Peter here, he keeps talking about this bloke, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. And he says, Paul, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of 
these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. I don't know about you, you read that verse and and maybe you think, well, it's good that there's others who struggle to understand some of the things that Paul wrote. But the hard work that we have to do in trying to understand some things, that's, that's no reason to go and distort his teaching or dismiss his teaching altogether. There's a long history of God's word being distorted, isn't there? Right from the beginning when the evil one said to Eve, did God really say that? It could be distortion or dismissal. I've met quite a few people over the years now who say things like, oh, that's just Paul, we don't listen to him. Speaking as if we can sort of pick and choose which parts of the Bible that we listen to. The Uniting Church here in Australia, which I grew up in, couldn't settle on the Bible being the Word of God. And so they settled on the Bible containing God's Word. There's a big difference. As soon as you start picking and choosing, you're on shaky ground. Which parts are authoritative and which parts are not? Oh, we don't listen to that anymore, says someone. Not these days. That was back then. When the Bible disagrees with us or some values that are held strongly by our culture, the temptation will be to distort or just ignore And that temptation is real for every generation of the church. There's a reason why the church in Australia is in decline. So many have dropped the gospel. But by saying in verse 16, you notice this, but by saying in verse 16 and speaking of the distortion of Paul's teaching, verse 16, as they do the other scriptures, they're distorting Paul's teaching as well as the other scriptures. Peter there is affirming that Paul's letters are scripture, God's words. This is an early affirmation of the authority of Paul's teaching, 64, 65 AD. As the Old Testament is scripture, that's how Jesus referred to the Hebrew Bible as scripture. Peter is saying, so are Paul's letters. That's a substantial thing to say. From verse 17, we see that Peter sees this as a forewarning. Be on your guard. He doesn't want his reader carried away by the, what does he call them? The lawless. He calls them lawless. Why? Maybe because they don't accept scripture for the direction of their lives. Don't dabble around with them, he's he's saying. Writing with the second coming of Jesus in view, the destruction of all things, the renewal, a new heaven and a new earth. How are we to wait? Be on your guard, says Peter. Waiting is rarely, if ever, passive. Live a holy and godly life. Now is the time for salvation. Be on your guard. And finally, in verse 
uh, 18, we have what sort of bookends this letter to Peter, a, a bit of a summary of the whole letter maybe. Instead of being carried away by the error of the lawless, grow, says Peter. Grow. Grow in what? Verse 18, grow Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Dave Burge says, The grace of Christ can be the air that you breathe, the soil for your nourishment, the song that you sing, the, the thought that you rise to in the morning and your last thought in the evening. May it shape the way you approach God, your spouse, children, grandchildren as well as the tired, depraved, lonely world around you. May the grace of the one who rules and rescues motivate you, sustain you and shape you in your service of him. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Grow and grow and grow in him. I, um, I love the way that our boy uh, Fred is waiting for our camping trip. Every morning he gets up, is it today? Uh, he's living every day with the, with the expectation of this camping tri- trip full in his mind. Does your life resonate with the sure return of Jesus? living a holy and godly life as we look forward to our home where righteousness dwells. His patience means salvation. Now is the opportunity for you to be reconciled to God if you're you're not already, for our friends and and family members and neighbours and work colleagues to hear the gospel and be on guard. Don't be... Uh, drawn away, but grow and grow and grow. Uh, just to finish, um, in um, chapter 4 of Paul's letter to Timothy, uh, Paul says to his, his mate Timothy, he says, even though you're young, don't let people look down on you, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Live a holy and godly life. He says, get stuck into this to the degree that, so that everyone may see your progress. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the the watching world could see the progress of Bagara Presbyterian Church in that way? Waiting well for heaven. Well, we're finished in 2 Peter. 2 Peter's given us some things to do and God has equipped us to get on with it. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen.